0: Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we assemble to explore the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. In this, our sixth season, we are looking at the Avengers. I'm Andy Nelson from the True Story FM Entertainment Podcast Network. Andy, I'm Pete Wright. So much going on. Fury's got moves, and we get to go back to
1: the colorectal laboratory almost? Too much.
0: Why has that not died? I just don't know. That's right. I we're say talking it about- over and over, Andy,
1: so that you can't cut it from all subsequent episodes.
0: <laughs> I get what you're doing. Trust me. Uh, today, we're talking about minute 80, which begins with Thor trying to put Hulk in a chokehold and ends with the young S.H.I.E.L.D. pilot dropping into position. Back on the show one last time this season is Jason Dittmer. Hello, Jason. Hello, everybody. Thanks for having me. Uh, we're thrilled. Uh, we're still in the middle of all the action of the attack on the helicarrier. Starting off with, uh, you know, we're still back on the uh, the lower docking area, and we get some awkward cuts here as Thor leaps onto Hulk's back and puts him in a chokehold with, with Mjolnir, uh, and it doesn't really work. The scene ends as Hulk leaps, I guess, presumably through the ceiling into the room above, although we won't actually get to that room above, you know, for quite a while, so it takes them a while to get from one floor to the other. So, we're continuing the fight. And what, what do you? How does this play this this bit with these two? Well,
1: it's very very short. But I do want to just agree with you fully, full throatedly. It should have been done in one shot. Like they should have. They shouldn't have had to do that cut. It's a very strange cut to the over the top shoulder. It's too fast, and they didn't need it. They
0: could have just gone straight to the bridge. There's something about the cut when we cut to the the two shot. As Thor is leaping up on him, it just it doesn't really match the action and the angle of what we were seeing with Thor as he's picking Mjolnir up. So I think I, I suppose when you're watching the film in one fell swoop, you know, you don't really pay attention too much to it. But,
1: but the camera's already doing something really cool, right? The camera is already pulling out and tilting, right? So it, it's already a weird sort of dizzy shot, like coming in close over the shoulder. Just it, it's um, I don't know. It's a little bit of a hat on a hat.
0: Yeah. Um But that takes us out of the lower docking area and back to the bridge. Finally, we get uh, an over-the-shoulder of fury as he's uh, his ADR lines are talking to uh, Agent Hill as she walks past. Something about the way that those lines play as she walks by. I'm his just like
1: ADR lines have also been anthropomorphized.
0: Good. <laughs> There's no way that he said those lines on set. It's, just, it's all of it is so artificial. Oh, jeez. Um, we haven't really talked about, uh, Nick Fury with you uh, much, uh, Jason. I, cause I think, um, I don't think he was born yet when we we're talking with you on Captain America last season. What are your <laughs> thoughts about Samuel L. Jackson in the role here? I mean, what is there to say except that he's
2: amazing? I mean, uh, tons of fun. I mean, I, I there is something incredibly plastic about the character. You know, he's suit Nick Fury super spy. He's also apparently an aircraft carrier captain. Uh, which, you know, I'd like to point out is an entirely different kind of job than super spy. I mean, it's, you know, it's like saying someone could be president of the United States and also be a Michelin starred chef. You know, I mean, they are two completely different gigs, uh, requiring completely different skill sets, but somehow he, he manages to straddle both of them like a colossus upon, uh, two different, uh, aircraft carrier. helicarriers. (laughs) helicarriers. <laughs> right, he wears helicarriers' shoes, I think that's yes, what exactly. we're saying. exactly. Yes. And then he walks yeah. across the U.S. delivering pipes you know... to people in need. <laughs> <meet. laughs>
1: you know, I'm curious, though, Jason, for, for your lens, like I know talking about the nationalist superhero and focusing on Captain America, where does Nick Fury's sort of, the, the whole gestalt of Nick Fury fit into this? Because he is, like, he is the arc toward fascism that, that S.H.I.E.L.D. is sort of like taking as we move toward through these movies. And I'm, so I'm curious, like, what, how, how he fits into the, the worldview of, of
2: our herodom. Well, that's a, I mean, it's a great question. I mean, he's a, um, I think you're right that as written in the MCU, he's a kind of uber secure, security above all kind of figure. Right. And, in which ethics and so on really falls out. I mean, it, I think the the comic book character is a kind of much longer and interesting arc, right? He starts as the Sergeant Fury and the Howling Commandos, which was a, uh, and I think we talked about this when we talked about Captain America, actually, you know, that it, it was a, a, a war comic, which was a kind of genre, was actually quite popular back in the kind of 40s and 50s, um, made a brief comeback in, kind of the 1980s, uh, as kind of Rambo and Vietnam and things like that kind of percolated through the pop culture realm. But so, you know, he starts off as a military man and, or the character does, obviously not this Nick Fury and, um, you know, and, and very much on the kind of anti-fascist side, obviously the acts of the allies, but, but as a character who would reflect on, you know, why we fight and that kind of a thing. Um, and so the transformation into a super spy, I think, really comes about with the kind of, uh, evolution of the Cold War and, you know, the, the, the kind of military side of things becomes, obviously, uh, is the Cold War, thankfully. And so there wasn't much to tell that way. And so he becomes a super spy and a leader of S.H.I.E.L.D. But as you can see here, S.H.I.E.L.D. is a kind of quasi military institution right it's not clearly an intelligence agency it's something more than that and uh, something which is really not very well illuminated in the story they kind of don't talk a lot about it even as it becomes uh, an object of uh concern with winter soldier and so on
1: well and even here the way they tease the the sort of uh, shadow leadership is the world security Council with faces obscured like that doesn't doesn't breed a lot of of uh, uh, patriotic sort of uh, um, satisfaction, right? Yeah. This, is, this It doesn't make us feel like Sheed, S.H.I.E.L.D. is on the side of good.
2: No, and it's really unclear who it works for, who it answers to. You know, there's both hearings in Congress about it at the end of World War, uh, uh, excuse me, uh, Winter Soldier. And, and as you say, though, it's kind of scripted as being something bigger or, you know, a, a kind of... Um, uh, Illuminati kind of, kind of thing. Um, but at the same time it has jet fighters and aircraft carriers and, you know, it's like, it it, it doesn't fit very easily into any of our existing categories. And so I think Nick Fury is a character that needs to be kind of considered as ambiguous in multiple directions, right? As we say, he could be a military man. He could be, uh, an organizational bureaucrat. He can be a a spy in the narrow sense. You know, he's, compelling in all those directions. And I think Samuel L. Jackson does a good job of trying to pull all that off.
0: Yeah, it goes to, uh, I think it was um, Tomas Pueyo who talks about the idea of, uh, you know, uh, being the best at something in the world and like your skill sets and and you want to have you want to be really good at a few things so that you end up being the best in the world of the person who can handle those particular things. You know, and so Mm -hmm. being a pilot of a helicarrier and a super spy. He maybe he's not the best of either of them, but he's so good at both of them that he's the best who can do both of them. What
2: if he's just really mediocre? He, you know, everyone's <laughs> like uh, right. Nick's always stamping around uh, like he's something else, but you know, the truth is, we just need you. never know when you're going to need a pilot, and you never know when you're going to need a spy. <laughs> super spy. He'll do that way. We don't have to hire two guys. You know <laughs> the whole story is him just failing up. Just that mediocre white guy. Right. He's not
0: a mediocre <laughs> white guy, but um, <laughs> uh, oh, that's pretty funny. All right, so we are at this point in the film where uh, Barton's invasion of the helicarrier has finally reached the bridge. A grenade comes in. Hill uh, sees it and tries to get out of the way. She's thrown back. Obviously, she'll be injured, but fine. She's got blood on her face, as we'll see a little in a minute. I want to start tracking, though, as, as we start taking out Barton's men to really get a sense as to where they all are and, and uh, you know, what they're doing, who gets killed, how many are left. So Because as we saw— Because when, if we don't do this, then who will? That's exactly it, Pete. Exactly the kind it. of reporting that we need, that we, we specialize in. At the start of the invasion, when we see Barton and his team on the helicarrier, on the helicarrier, on their Quinjet, um, it, all we can see are Barton and six other guys. So there's a total of seven plus the two pilots. So there's actually nine people on his team that he's uh, presumably with. When they get off, we see the seven of them running into the helicarrier. And that's where we are. Now, at this point in the bridge, uh Once the grenade goes off, we see Fury very quickly. I mean, he's, this is, I guess, why he's the super spy. He yes. goes and, and hides behind the doorway, waits for these two guys to come in. What he does is he grabs the gun from the second, hits him in the throat with his pistol, raises his gun, shoots the first guy, flips the second guy to the ground, hits the first guy who wasn't dead from the shot. Uh, hits him in the face to drop him. And then while he still is holding the second guy, he pulls him up by his gun and hits him a third time back to the ground. So that's, that's Fury. I mean, that sounds pretty mediocre to me. I mean, how many hits did it take there to get these guys down? I mean, no wonder he's
2: kind of just passable. fully mediocre. Yeah.
0: Far too many hits with each person. And
1: compared to immediately after this, Maria Hill
2: hits third guy and takes him down in a shot. Right, mm-hmm. like
0: single yeah. shot. Yeah, and that's yeah. the
2: thing. You know, to be a high-ranking woman, you have to be that much better you have than be you. Right. This is the, <laughs> right. the lesson we've learned. <laughs> this is this is exactly where we're going. With we this. we
0: laugh because if we didn't laugh, we'd cry. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Uh, so at this point, I guess I'm assuming that the headshot that Hill took actually killed that person, whereas Fury presumably has two people who are still alive but unconscious. So let's just let's just picture that as for where we are with with these three people.
1: Right. So we have th- three is the total. The next time we so see far. them in this minute, uh, they're just shooting at more guys. But I don't think do we ever see any evidence of actual guys in on the bridge in this minute?
0: Um, well, you mean other people other than these these three? yeah or are or, or we just to assume that they're just shooting at the two
1: guys that Fury already took down?
0: No, we do see the bodies on the ground, so so right. later in this minute, we'll see the guy lying in the doorway who Hill had shot, plus we see at least one, maybe the two bodies that that Fury left on the ground, and then the two of them, Fury and Hill, are both shooting at a fourth person who is coming in through the doorway, and that person does fall over, so I'm assuming that person also gets shot. Okay. So I'm assuming at this point we have two confirmed kills and two maybe just unconscious potential future prisoners. Right. Okay.
1: All right. I'm there. So four. That's what we get.
0: And that's all we get in this minute as far as the the, the attack on the bridge. Uh, We'll have a few other attacks around the ship, but at this point, that's where we sit. Okay. Whew. So it's going to be important for us, Pete, to track this yeah. as we go just to see if, if mysterious extra people show up. That's really the goal here. Can I
2: raise a, a side issue? Yeah, please. Adjacent to the one you're doing?
0: We love adjacent
2: issues. <laughs> yes. <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I'm no military man. Okay. I teach geography, it's uh, about as far from being a killing machine as, as a person could get. Uh, I don't
1: know. Have you met any podcasters lately?
2: (laughs) Let's assume there's a category of equally tough people that includes podcasters (laughs) and geography professors. Uh, But, you know, here we have uh, Clint Barton, known killing machine, tactically leading this crew of, of people to the bridge, right? And, um, they are, we know from the subsequent dialogue that they are dressed fully in shield uniforms. So in other words, they have the complete element of surprise. Nobody knows they're there. The place is already chaos because the Hulk and Thor and everyone else is having a fight. And an engine has been blown up. And an engine has been blown up, and they're worried about falling into New Jersey, um, which would worry many people. Why wouldn't they? Uh, Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Um, uh, I know a lot of people who do a lot to avoid going to New Jersey. Um, and, And... I think uh, the idea that they open with a... Gr- keep in mind, too, they're invading a bridge, which inexplicably, along with the larger spatial logics of this aircraft carrier, is about the size of a cafeteria. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's not the bridge of a vessel. It's like, you know, a hotel lobby. So it's a huge area. And they, they, they give up the element of surprise by lobbing a grenade into the room before they've even entered it. I mean, it, it's... You know, and so guess what? Now they're stuck in the doorway trying to, you know, they could have just walked in, calmly taken up three different positions, spotted where Nick Fury is, gunned him down first. I mean, it is an absolute just disaster of an attack on the bridge. I mean,
1: Hans Gruber did it better with actual guys with guns invading a Christmas party. Yes. And doing it silently. <laughs> yeah. And here if we they give gruberized our, yes.
2: this, it would have been a wholly different outcome.
0: Oh, they needed to gruberize <sighs> it. They needed to gruberize uh, it. What
2: they need is a bit more Rickman.
0: Yes. Uh, yeah, well, that's pretty much true of everything.
2: Yes. More Rickman,
0: less Renner. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> it's, I mean, yeah, the the challenge is, I mean, when, when Barton came onto the ship, he sent uh, three people, I believe, to the engine to stop them from doing the repairs. He sent one person to the to the holding cell, and then he said, the rest of you come with me. And so that's kind of the three spots that they went. And so I guess I'm assuming that the other two teams are playing the card of, we look just like you, we're going to just, you know, go calmly and coolly to the spots where we've been sent. Smart is what you would call that, I think. It's the, or smart, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> And um, and and getting into place to kind of deal with the situations in those in those areas because I mean remember six thousand people on board <laughs> against seven let's just keep that in mind so
1: <laughs> yeah why did they send D Squad to the bridge that's the bigger question I think right now and
0: and the fact is that Barton is here too and and of the people you'd think that he would be playing this of all areas the smartest but uh yeah they they just go ahead and and attack and i guess that's the question is like why is this the strategy uh is it just to confuse them so they can get loki out because really all i mean the only reason they're here is to get loki right and the scepter Yeah, it's cr- is there any other reason that they're that they've come up
1: demonstration of power uh, i don't know <laughs> I, I guess i guess but uh, loki demonstrates that he's able to kind of take care of himself
0: yeah the one thing he can't do is fly a, a Quinjet, and so I guess that's what he needed. Maybe that's it. He needed a, a ride, but he can magic himself out, right? He can open up one of his secret back doors. Just magic himself to Passaic, yeah.
2: That's what I'm saying. All right. Well, this is clearly unsolvable. It's almost as if it isn't real. <laughs> <laughs> don't we got we gotta find a solution so that I
0: don't have to alight on that. Yeah. On That's that conclusion. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh yeah. It's uh well, it is one of my frustrations. I mean, I get it. They're trying to just create chaos, but at the same time, it's like maybe they didn't need to go to the bridge. I guess I'm not sure, like, was. Are they trying to take down Fury and Hill again? Is that the specific goal at this point? I just don't know. I'm not exactly sure what they're doing. But it's a that would be a very strange outcome, given that they basically,
2: you know, Loki could have killed, you know, killed Nick Fury right at the beginning of the
0: movie, right? right? Yeah, right. Exactly. So that's that's the confusing thing that I don't think is ever really cleared up as to why all of this is happening the way it is. Do you think? they came for the pipes.
2: <laughs> that's mm. right. I mean, <laughs> we have no idea what the plumbing is like. At, Probably uh, really
1: upset when they discovered that all the best pipes had already
2: been destroyed oh by Hulk. <laughs> I mean, the- they didn't think it through, <laughs> obviously.
0: Clearly. that's. I think that's where we've landed. Yeah, they really didn't think they this through. They did not through. think this no.
1: through. <laughs> no. And then we end on the, the, then we cut right over to the, to the plane
0: well before that we have colson we have Col- oh, we do yeah, get Coulson. a moment of colson here as he runs up he action. skips he skips all of the good uh, the the regular guns and he goes to the secret fancy weapons lockers and uh, that requires yeah the biometric um you know thumbprint and eye scan uh thank goodness it wasn't the same retinal scan that was required in stuttgart oh that was rough yeah. I mean having a machine that has to extract the eye to be scanned. Yes,
1: just... this Especially on the helicarrier, that seems like it would be a rough a rough addition. A technological <laughs> But addition. it would have
0: answered our question, where did they get that device?
1: <laughs> exactly. Exactly.
0: <laughs> yeah, you have the helicarrier. They use these for everything. But but
1: so but we don't see what Colson gets out of the out of the we optical. Don't.
2: I'm just picturing everyone with a lanyard with an eyeball hanging off with of it. You know, like, hang on, I'll tag in.
0: Yeah, uh, it's okay. Just, he's with me. It just doesn't get better. That, that uh, eyeball, the, so the ocular right. extraction, never gets better. It really doesn't. <laughs> Oh, so yeah, we do get Hulk and Thor finally bursting through the floor. It takes them a long time to get from where they were up to the Wishbone lab, but that's where they land in the lab. Thor looks tired, Hulk grabs him, and this is where we get the conversation between Fury and Hill about how uh, Hulk is going to tear this place apart. Fury tells her to get his attention, and that's where Pete, she calls in Escort 60- to engage with Hulk, this is uh, this is the next and uh, the next part of our action sequence here. As they're dealing with how do we deal with Hulk? Does, does this make sense as a smart way to get his attention? I think I think the bigger question is who who in the middle of a gunfight is thinking two moves ahead on the
2: fight that you're not even in. I mean, it's like they're still shooting at people who are yeah. raiding the bridge, and he's like, you know what I just thought about. You know, the Hulk is going to tear this place apart. <laughs> you yeah. know, why don't you do something about it? Person who's shooting right now at the people who are shooting back at me, and and so the answer is,
1: let's take a plane and have it shoot at us. Yes,
2: <laughs> <laughs> but really good shooting—the kind of shooting that hits your target and right. doesn't destroy any of the equipment around it. Right. It'll be exactly. the best kind of shooting. Yeah. Right. Right. Well, he's not a stormtrooper. He knows how to shoot. Name. <laughs> I mean, with his magical floating plane. I mean, uh, there's so (laughs) that is. I had a glimmer (laughs) of something here, looking at this that scene where it's like, okay. So my initial thought was, I find it really tedious the way they kind of you know turn the the Quinjet into a Harrier jump jet, and you know this kind of floating around and it flies in all these ways. I realize that's possible. I'm not trying to say. Well, this is a real
0: plane. This is a real plane. This one. The Harrier. No, the the Harrier. The Harrier was the- destroyed, but what, what we have here, what our pilot is flying is a Lockheed Martin F-35B Lightning II, and these can switch from conventional to vertical flight configuration.
1: Because I think these are the ones that have, like, like they have a vent that, like, somehow in the middle of the plane that, cause, that allows it to... Propelled down, the to do, engine yeah, tilts do down, and then yeah. it allows it to hover in balance
2: instead of having the Quinjet rotors. I do apologize, then, but but I think that even throws even more interesting questions about the overlap between shield and the U.S. military. Yeah, <laughs> um, right. But so then you have the a brief view of the helicarrier, which has apparently just banks of jet engines to propel it forward. <laughs> yes, <laughs> so, you know, and I was just like. What is going on here? I mean, you know, why not just give this thing wings and have it be a plane? I mean, well, why do you have to have this plane that launches planes? Um, <laughs> is this, the whole thing to me is just sort of like, you know, I, I don't know. Anyway, you've heard my views on this. Oh,
0: the biggest fan of the helicarrier right here, folks. Yeah, right. <laughs>
2: I mean, boats float so easily. It's free. The water does the lifting for you. right? So (laughs) much physics just happens. This is something we've known for a long time. You know, (laughs) to say, let's put that in the air. You know, what will that cost us? That ought to be
0: the end of that discussion. Because (laughs) anyway. So funny. Well, that does give us our, our young... Pilot that we have. Our young shield pilot is played by Walter Perez, and what that means is of course another IMDB game. yeah <laughs> uh, I know it's up, Andy. <laughs> I know it's hard to tell because, you know, he's got your pilot gear on. You can't even see his face. He is completely obscured by all of this. Um, but it is Walter Perez as the young uh Shield pilot. The four films that IMDB says he is known for, of course, the Avengers is one of them. He's on here for that. I can't that.
1: believe you didn't even pause to give us a chance to get one. Like, you just say Avengers so fast. Like, we ha- we had a try, at <laughs> least, because I don't know anything else. I than- guess I was
0: reading from the last time we did this, where the Avengers was the obvious one, and you just said, I have no idea. No, I, well, now, now I've learned. I can be taught. Okay. Okay. All right. We have been talking about Avengers. monkeys and trees, so you're, you're you're learning like a monkey here. All right. I love it. <laughs> the Avengers. Yes, Pete. You got it. Okay. Outstanding. I feel All better. Right. I, I needed a cookie. I, I've been corrected, Walter Perez. Do either of you have any other ideas of films that Walter Perez has been in that would be his IMDb known for? Us? Um, I think
1: he was in Scarface. <laughs>
2: Uh well let's see. I don't think Did he play the uh the pilots in yeah. Top Gun who <laughs> Tom Cruise was flying against and you never got to see their faces either. <laughs> 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 I'm almost sure. I'm sure the cut of that
1: uh aircraft garb. Right, right, right here. Here.
0: Well see, Walter Perez was born in nineteen eighty two, so he would have been a four year old in Top Gun. He could have but, been Top Gun uh, Maverick. Well they could have been 4 years old you never see their faces. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's true. Just babies piloting just these another stuffed suit. <laughs> well, the four films that it says, A uh, Fame, the 2009 um musical version of Fame updated hmm. for the big screen, uh he was in that. He was also in Line of Duty, uh 2013. As a pilot? Uh a 2013 film with uh, you know, Jeremy Ray Valdez uh, Fernando Romo and Walter Perez are the three top billed people. So I, it's a, I don't know, direct to uh, DVD sort of thing that he direct was in. Direct to my heart, more like it. <laughs> <laughs> Last but not least, he was in a two thousand film, a two thousand seven film called August Evening, and uh, yeah, it's a story about a, an undocumented farm worker and his young widow daughter-in-law as their lives are thrown into upheaval. So. Those are the four films that it says he's known for. There you go. Walter Perez, young shield pilot. Well, he does a great job. It's just, I mean, he, he owns the scene. I feel
2: like. Owns the scene, (laughs) Um, owns the sky. He's firmly in control of the plane and, uh, (laughs) the plane, which does exist. So, which does exist. And therefore he exists. And, uh, I don't know. I got nothing.
0: (laughs) Oh, Oh my gosh. Well, I'm looking forward to talking more about him and uh, what he decides to do when it comes to Hulk. We will talk about that more next week as we get into that. But that's it for this week's minute. I think we've pretty much covered the gamut over these five episodes with you, Jason. All sorts of conversations in all sorts of directions. We certainly appreciate you joining us to be here for all of it. Uh, it's my pleasure. I've really enjoyed it. It's been a lot of laughs and, uh, and of course, a very tiny amount of movie. <laughs> very tiny amount. Truly. Really. That's what we're here for. That's what we're here for. Absolutely. Tell everybody one last time about your book and where they can find it. Oh, my book, Andy? <laughs> oh. <laughs> Apart from the Cap-
2: cases of it that are on your children's bookshelf. <laughs> <Yes. show. laughs> i got to move these copies. Uh <laughs> uh it's called captain america the nationalist superhero and it's a, a scholarly investigation of the nationalist superhero genre and its emergence in america in world war ii and it's uh shall we say immigration to canada and then across the ocean to the united kingdom uh much later But uh, it's uh, available. uh, It makes the perfect 4th of July gift. And uh, I hope you guys uh, get a chance to take a look at it.
0: Definitely check it out. The link is in our show notes. So you can just click on that. Go right to the site and get your own copy. And if you're not seeing the links in your podcatcher, just go to our website, marvelmovieminute.com, And you can click on it there. You can also learn about our membership program where you can get early access to the episodes. Plus get them ad-free, which we all love. So That's it for today. We'll be back uh, next week. Ryan Bennett is joining us to talk about Minute 81. So it should be a lot of fun to talk with her about that. Uh, So, Pete, thanks as always.
1: Minute 81, be careful, you guys. Iron Man shoots a laser right in your eyeball. So so
0: rude. (laughs) Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Until next time, true believers.